Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So it does. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Coming up on Fast, the biggest risk to this rally. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson says it's not coronavirus lockdowns or civil unrest. He'll tell us his new, new number one word for the market. Plus, is luxury's biggest deal in danger? We will tell you what sent shares of Tiffany tumbling today. And we're all over the big after-hours move in Zoom. Can this ultimate work-from-home play can sustain its red-hot run? But we start off with Facebook front and center today. The company holding an all-hands-on meeting to address the growing backlash over how the company is handling protests breaking out across the nation. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with the very latest. Julia. Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg did defend himself and his stance in that meeting with Facebook employees. Facebook just issuing a statement moments ago saying, quote, open and honest discussion has always been part of Facebook's culture. Mark had an open discussion with employees today, as he has regularly over the years. He's grateful for their feedback. Now, The New York Times reporting that Zuckerberg said in this meeting that uh, of the decision not to flag President Trump's post, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, was what he called a tough decision, but that it was, quote, pretty thorough. Zuckerberg reportedly saying that the company's free speech policies show, quote, that the right action where we are right now is to leave this up. Zuckerberg reportedly saying in this meeting with employees that he knew this decision was going to lead to people within the company being upset as well as to criticism from the media. Zuckerberg's decision to leave up that post from the president and not to flag it did prompt a digital walkout of hundreds of employees yesterday. Sources tell me that some of those employees are working on a list of specific demands for Facebook management. Last night, an engineer posted on LinkedIn that he has submitted his resignation to Facebook. He writes, quote, I cannot stand by Facebook's continued refusal to act on the president's bigoted messages aimed at radicalizing the American public. Now, last night, Zuckerberg and COO Sheryl Sandberg spoke with leaders of three civil rights groups. They said after the meeting they were, quote, disappointed and stunned by Zuckerberg and Sandberg's explanations. Zuckerberg and Facebook saying they were grateful for the opportunity to continue the dialogue with these organizations. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borson. So basically... Mark Zuckerberg has pleased no one, Karen. But as a shareholder, are you pleased? Well, I'm pleased with how the stock has, you know, traded this year and how well they've done. I, he's in a, a really tough spot, I think. Uh, and now at this point, he he can will continue to displease everyone, no matter what he does. I don't know what. Um, I mean, we, you know, I guess we're going to have to see what businesses reaction. We've seen just a tiny bit of it, right? How do businesses react? And is he weighing in his mind, how, what business does he lose by keeping this stance versus what business will he lose by changing this stance? And, and also wanting to um, keep important employees. So I, it's a very fine line. I'm, I'm staying long the stock. I believe in the story, but it's, it's, I, I, I'm not sure the way out for him right now. I mean, the calculus of Mark Zuckerberg right now, Guy, I would imagine is very complicated because not only is he weighing exactly what Karen outlined, but he's also 
probably thinking about protection under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. He's also thinking perhaps about being a target of a DOJ investigation that is ongoing at this point. That has not gone away. Um, and he has managed to have a phone call with the president, which in that particular effort can't hurt him. Yeah, and to Karen's point, and this point I was going to make, he loses no matter what he does, right? I mean, if he censors the president, he's going to get crushed. And if he does the current, you know, if he takes this course that he's taking now, he's getting crushed. The winner here is the president, because if the president gets censored, he has absolute ammunition. If he doesn't, he has a platform. So win-win for the president, lose-lose for Mark Zuckerberg. But, you know, since the Bible seems to be all the rage, I'll throw out Luke 12:48. And I'm paraphrasing, but to whom much is given, much is required. And he's been entrusted with quite a lot. And he's got to go to bed with the decisions he makes. But this isn't a political show. It's a stock show. And there's no denying that despite everything that's been going on, the stock is traded like a champ. So, you know, to Karen's point, you've got to still stay long the name unless you start to see advertisers start to balk. We haven't seen that yet. So, you know... I'll use that as my caveat, but until you see that, you stay with the name. And I will go to the Sunday school teacher now since we brought up Luke. Um, advertisers, but also <laughs> user engagement, I mean, those two things go hand in hand. So to the ex- I mean, could this, and I hate to say, could this be different this time around, but in terms of, of how widespread these protests are, um, the core that it seems to have struck with corporate America, could this incident be a little bit different for Facebook to navigate? Well, corporate America is trying to figure out their stance on this as well. So um, Karen brings up the interesting point. uh, And from this catechist perspective, um, the the question of of whether you're doing something tactically that's going to try to align yourself with the most amount of people and businesses and what's right for the share price uh, and and ultimately profitability versus just what's right, um, what what the moral high ground is. And, and of course, the arbiter of truth, right? This is this phrase that we keep coming up with. And is Facebook supposed to be the arbiter of truth when, in fact, truth has different flavors? Um, so I, I think this is really the debate. Uh, the stock has been in beast mode. Uh, and there's, that's not a religious term. Um, it's a football term, probably. Uh, and it's a term that, that is, is almost hard to imagine Facebook would be in considering where Facebook has been in when it's been in this kind of spotlight, except for the fact that at this point it seems to be on, on the side of the government. Um, and, and that's not their view on where they are. That's just the stance that they've taken. But it, as Guy pointed out, happens to be supportive of this administration. Um, and, and, and based upon what the stock is doing, it seems to me that the stock is almost re-rating based upon that. Now, uh, think about what we've had in the last month from Facebook. Also, we had the announcement of the Facebook Shops platform, which is essentially, you know, they, they claim to have 160 million small, medium-sized businesses, SMBs on their platform, um, who can be setting up uh, essentially a, a a storefront uh, online, which is something that will give a lot of these closed down or at least businesses that have been shuttered a tremendous opportunity and is also a way for them to be getting involved in, in, in commerce and improving upon just this advertising story. So remember, that was the big news three weeks ago, and, and that was a very important driver for the stock. And I think it remains an important driver for re-rating. So in the game of Would You Rather, Dan, between Facebook and Twitter, does it factor in uh, the stance that, that Twitter and Facebook are taking, the differing stances uh, that they are taking with regards to flagging certain kinds of tweets? 
Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, Jack Dorsey has proven that he's willing to stand up for a certain set of ideals, and these are going to be on the right side of history. And Mark Zuckerberg is likely to go down in history um, as just on the wrong side of it. And when you think about 3 billion monthly active users that they have, you have to ask yourself a question. Is this platform a source for good or a source for evil? And in, in really, over the last few years, I think it's demonstrated the fact that it's really not doing a whole heck of a lot for humanity. We've had a lot of guests on CNBC who have a lot to say on that. Um, so to me, you know, I applaud Jack Dorsey. I think that some of the steps that they are taking, they're trying to safeguard their platform from being co-opted. You know, the last time that Facebook was faced with this sort of challenge after the 2016 election, I think it's pretty fair to say that Mark Zuckerberg laid a massive egg. Sheryl Sandberg, who was supposed to be the adult in the room, also did. Where has she been over the last couple of years? Mark Zuckerberg went in front of Congress and he, it was an embarrassment. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, you talked about calculus, Mel. The calculus is, is that Mark Zuckerberg and his cronies have 70 percent of the voting rights and they can do whatever they want. Um, you know, and so then you think about everything that all the other guys just said about this as an investable stock. Of course it is. It's very cheap. It's an absolute um, advertising machine. But at some point, I think a lot of brands, especially if 2020 goes wrong. And you know what? You say to yourself, how much worse can it go? Well, it really feels, at least as far as the president's concerned, mm -hmm. that it's going to go get a lot more tense over the course of the summer and into the fall. And I see every opportunity for Mark Zuckerberg just to trip all over himself. Um, and I just don't see this as a sort of thing that a lot of brands are going to want to be associated with coming out of 2020. All right. So it is it is going to be a problem from the investor standpoint. Joining us now on the phone is Recode executive editor and co-founder Kara Swisher. Kara, it's always great to get your take. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Um, Thank you for having me. You know, Dan had brought up a, a, a very good point, an interesting one in terms of, you know, Facebook being, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but basically the devil spawn. From an investor standpoint, though, <laughs> maybe that doesn't matter for now, as long as advertisers, as long as users continue to use this platform. Do you think eventually that it catches up with either parts of those equation, uh, the equation? I think it always catches up. But right now, they can be as despicable as they want because their stock is up. And so they get this pass, this, this, this ability to say it's okay because of the, because of, because they really are the only game in town. And so they decided because there's a lot of, uh, legislation coming, possible antitrust action to sidle up for the, to the current government. I think there's a danger in that eventually. But I think as Mark has seen throughout his, his short corporate history that he can violate rules and get away with it. And so this is just the same, you know, this is, this is sort of a song that I keep singing and telling people and they're surprised that he does the same thing over and over again. But this is a pattern of Mark Zuckerberg from the earliest days. Um, he has complete control of his company. It's not Mark and his minions. It's just Mark. Um, and you know, he, he's not thinking of anything like what's the right thing for history. He doesn't, he has a, a passing knowledge of the First Amendment, from what I can, I've seen him speak about it, and I find it disturbingly naive. Um, but at the same time, he has, he's made his decision, and his decision is, is the rule of law at Facebook, and therefore that's what they're going to do. Um, do you think that the employee, the internal sort of revolt or the internal concerns that this is sparking, does this catch up to Facebook as a company in terms of attracting talent? Or does that problem largely um, dissipate over time as Facebook employs people across the country with its new work from home policy? You know, I don't know, because Facebook has been one, both Facebook employees have been among the most docile and uh, going along with this of any in Silicon Valley. There's always been a lot of hubbub. 
inside Google almost continually, same thing at Twitter, same thing at a lot of the companies. This company, you hardly hear a peep from their, their employees in terms of these issues, lots of issues, whatever something, uh, you know, comes up that's so, social issues. Uh, so I, I, I'm surprised that even a few people have complained. I hope it continues. I think it will have exactly zero effect. Uh, I'm perplexed as, as, uh, that Sheryl Sandberg has said nothing, has been a non-voice here, a public voice, but I think they've decided to put um, – Mark out front. I think he wants to be out front of this. Uh, they've tried with this content board, which, of course, would never decide things like this. It's only stuff uh, that has been uh, taken down there, not not stuff that sh- uh, that should be taken down. So, you know, they've tried all kinds of things. I think they are going to do exactly what they're going to do, and this decision by Mark should come as no surprise to anybody. Kara, it's always great having you on. Thanks for being here. So at Thanks. what point, if any, uh, is it incumbent upon the end user to make his or her own, own decision to uh, delete the app or to, to push back? You know, I understand what you're saying about Mark. I think it is what it is with Mr. Zuckerberg. But the other mm-hmm. side of that equation is, you know, the people have the power at a certain point, no? Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's because the people can decide whether to use these products are good. You know, I know my own kids don't want to use it, and this is part of the reason. They're totally disappointed by these decisions. But, you know, my kids don't represent everybody. Some people find it really useful. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is going to continue to be what I call them on Twitter, the Susan Collins of the Internet. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to be disappointed and concerned, but he's going to do exactly nothing about this and continue to let uh, president Trump do what he wants. And I think you were right. You were all right in saying that there's no lose for, for the president because if he gets kicked off or sidelines, he can complain to his base. If he, if he doesn't, uh, if nothing happens, he wins. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, uh, it's a really perplexing situation and something this company and other companies in social media should have faced a long time ago. Uh, especially with, with regards to president Trump, he's like a, he's like a, they gave sugar to him like a child that gives sugar to him and they're w- wondering why he's diabetic and screaming. Like, guess what? This is, this is what you get when you allow someone to have unfettered access to your platform and, have, and be bound by no rules. So, again, whatever side you're on about this, this is exa- we're, he- we're here because this is the way they made it. If uh, Facebook loses out or if Facebook uh, loses some advertisers, whatever, if this whole issue catches up with that company, does Twitter mm-hmm. gain an edge? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think Twitter, it would be interesting if Twitter went to a subscription model. Professor Galloway on our Pivot program uh, talked about that. Like, they have nothing to lose. They're sort of the two big players in advertising are Facebook and Google, and they're carving it up for themselves, including against media companies, everybody else. So Twitter really is in a unique position. Would people pay for a subscription? Would they, you know, there's all kinds of things. So Twitter has, you know, that's why Twitter sort of cut off political advertising. It also wasn't much of a lift, although I I admire what they did. It wasn't much of a lift because it wasn't much of a business. Um, And advertising really isn't the point. Political advertising isn't really where the game is. It's in political content that that gets thrown over 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 the whole place. And a lot of it is disinformation that's allowed to thrive on platforms like Facebook. Um, so, no, I don't think they gain from it because they don't have the same product. Mm-hmm. Facebook's kind of got a lock uh, on a lot of this stuff. And I think they're angling not to not to be controlled in any way by the government. Right. And if this if this administration wins, they certainly will reward Facebook by leaving them out of what's going to be a possible uh, 
you know, a purge of these social media companies. Kara, thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. All right. Thanks very much. Kara Swisher, always good to get her opinion on things. Um, Karen Feinerman, what, what did you make of what Kara had to say? And the notion that because Facebook has such a lock, this, I mean, it may not really make a difference in the end to its competitors. I think, I mean, I mean, do you remember what Cambridge Analytica was such a giant, I feel like it was much bigger than this, actually, mm -hmm. the scale of that. And Kara's right. I mean, she's been saying this for a long, long time, that Zuckerberg's going to do whatever he wants and that he can, not just because of his voting, but uh, because of the power of the platform. And it certainly makes me wonder, is if profitability and share price were to go down a lot, would that make him change his tune or that or he, he's just uh, sticking by it? I don't know. All that having been said, I'm a sort of, you know, um, detached investor. And I still think the platform is incredibly powerful, and I don't think the stock's expensive. So I'm staying long. Tim? Well, at uh, 8 bucks a share on expected 2020, you're, you know, if you put a 30 multiple on it, everyone can do that math. Um, the stock's not expensive. It, it, you know, relative to itself, it is. Um, but, but not relative to the size of the platform and the ability to monetize. And, and again, the under-monetized assets in WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram. So these are the things that we're not even really talking about tonight. And, and these are the things that give this company a lot more room for upside. I, I have become more constructive on where this stock can trade, obviously, uh, over the last month or so, as I've seen the combination of the, uh, the, the ma management has made a choice, as we've just discussed. I won't go back into that. Um, that is probably constructive for the share price. It's, it's an apolitical comment, I hope. Um, it, it, it is something that we've seen in the past, and it's completely opposite of, of what they were doing four years ago. All right, we've got a news alert out of Amazon. Deidre Bose has got the story. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Amazon is planning a summer sale event for June 22nd designed to provide a boost for sellers that have been feeling the impacts of the COVID pandemic. In a document sent to brands and viewed by CNBC, Amazon says that the so-called fashion summer sale event will be by invitation only and run anywhere between seven and 10 days long. And Melissa, this really comes as Amazon operations start to get back to normal in the last few weeks. They start to uh, sell more than sort of the limited amount of goods they had at the height of the crisis. And it also comes as its better known annual Prime Day. That shopping bonanza is delayed reportedly until the fall. Back to you. Uh, Deidre, just to be clear, this is for clothing. It says it's a fashion summer sale event. So it sounds like it's for clothing. But I think the focus here is that these are non-essential goods. As operations come back mm -hmm. online, I think Amazon is trying to promote some of the sellers that had a harder time getting their stuff into warehouses and out to customers amid the pandemic. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa joining us uh, on news from Amazon. Guy Dami, this is also happening at, at a time when retailers are starting to try to reopen and Amazon is, is going to be out there with its sales spectacular uh, later this month. It's going to be tough. It's going to be you know, we talked about, obviously, in the first 20 minutes of the show, we talked about two, two companies that just basically it's their world and everybody else is playing in them. And I think you just outlined it really well. In terms of the stock, you know, it's, it's really amazing. People hear and see what they want to hear. But I thought we did a pretty decent job. You know, we said earn, own the stock into earnings, pull the ripcord, try to buy it back at 2170. And if you look, the stock got down to 2240. I mean, it's close enough for government work, as they say, but the stock has done everything absolutely right 
as has Facebook. So it's one of those names, you know, you're looking for you're looking for those entry points. We're trying to provide you with them. But these are names that are just impervious to whatever perceived bad news is out there. All right. Coming up is a major luxury deal in danger. The headline that's on shares of Tiffany tumbling today. And we're all over the after hours move in Zoom. The company's call is about to kick off. We're listening in and we'll bring you any big headlines. Fast Money's back right after this. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. A retail mega merger could be in danger. Tiffany plunging this afternoon on a Women's Wear Daily report that its merger with fashion powerhouse LVMH is looking uncertain. Less certain is the exact terminology they use. Karen's been digging in on the deal. So, Karen, what do you make of um, the agreement, how airtight it is, and whether this could go through or not? Right. Well, I'm not surprised to hear LVMH is sort of having cold feet, but that's not really the question. The question is whether they can get out of the deal. And I think the answer is not really. I mean, this is a very, very tight merger agreement. And there's a, there's a, a notion called a material adverse change. So if something really bad happens, that allows the buyer to walk away. But in a lot of merger agreements, they carve out what are some material adverse changes that, aren't, that don't give the buyer the right to walk away. So here they have some very specific ones, worsening of Hong Kong trade tensions, worsening of China, uh, tra- China trade tensions at Hong Kong protests. But there's two others that I think are even more interesting here. And the, the language is, these are not an out, remember, changes or conditions that generally affect Tiffany's industry. So that's, that's pretty broad protection. And the second one is the inability for, for Tiffany to meet their own projections. That's pretty broad as well. So, I mean, these were the very best lawyers that crafted this. Actually, it's Frank Aquila from Sullivan and Cromwell, who I think is a friend of the show. Um, so he's representing Tiffany. I think they definitely have the better side of the argument by a lot. And the other thing that's sort of important is LVMH is sort of seen as a, as a very high-quality buyer. And they've already raised the money to do this deal. And this is a very unique property. It doesn't come along very often. But I, I think that they really don't want to tarnish, their, no pun intended, with Tiffany Silver, but they don't want to tarnish their image here of being a premier buyer because they, they like to buy the very best businesses. So all that having been said, I think that with the stock here, I don't own it because I only know what the upside is. The upside is the deal closes at 135. The downside, if the deal breaks, which I don't think it will, but I don't know what the downside is. So it's really hard for me to assess. But the one other thing that's sort of important is if Tiffany somehow breaks, Taubman stock is trading down a lot, a lot also, even though it's completely unrelated and has its own merger agreement. That's just sort of the way the deal portfolios work. Right. And it's not just a matter uh, if the deal breaks, but you don't know what the downside is either if the deal gets renegotiated and there's a new price on it, Tim. So, I mean, to, to the person at home, they might think, oh, well, you know, this seems like a slam dunk, but not really. Well, it, it depends on, on, first of all, the, the, the sense of the luxury space and where it's going in a COVID-19 is, is, is certainly an unknown. 
Um, Tiffany was a $92 stock-ish. Um, you know, it kind of couple days of rallying into the announcement where it, it vaulted almost within 10 bucks of the, the numbers Karen's talking about. Um, I, I think weakness on Tiffany should be bought. I, I think the, the, the unknown in terms of where this deal could get recrafted is, is important. But I, I think it, it's, it's a brand that we've also seen be very resilient during difficult times. And we saw it uh, come back very quickly, for example, after the, the financial crisis in 2008, because the luxury spend and, and certainly Tiffany's market is one that you know, largely, I, I think, remains and remains resilient. So um, I, I, I believe Tiffany is one to watch on weakness. Um, but this speculation about this deal, uh, could it close or could it still uh, be, be broken apart, has been going on for months. Uh, I mean, this was something that not to this point, but was, was news that was out there in mid-March. Coming up, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson will join us. He'll tell us what he thinks is the biggest risk to the rally. And later, why options traders are making big bets that this chip stock is about to break out. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. The market paying close attention to protests, both peaceful and violent uh, breakout across America. Our next guest says the unrest isn't the number one risk to this rally right now. Let's bring in Mike Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. He joins us on the phone tonight. Mike, great to speak with you. Thanks, Melissa. So what is, what is the risk then? Well, I mean, look, we don't want to downplay the uh, the violence over the weekend. It's a terrible event. Uh, but for the economy and the recovery itself, I think the biggest event in the near term is going to be uh, can we get uh, the additional stimulus passed uh, through Congress that, you know, we already have the House bill, and what, is that, what form does that take, and do we get the unemployment benefits extended, as everybody's expecting? Uh, there is a risk that it, it doesn't get done, and I think that's a, that's a potential risk. Obviously, there's a risk that we have a spike in cases as the economy uh, reopens. So those two, I think, would be top of the list for me, um, something that we're watching closely over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, as we watch the protests, uh, Tom Lee over at Fundstrap points out that uh, the protests can be can be found in 75 cities across the United States. Um, and he writes, we we now have transmission risk in high gear in the U.S. in 75 cities. I mean, people don't protest with social distancing. Um, so in as much as as the protests represent not only a risk to consumer sentiment and confidence, but also just a transmission risk, um, a higher risk of a second wave. How are you viewing these protests, especially the longer they go? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really important insight. I mean, it's actually uh, also going to provide a very good test for you know, whether or not there's going to be a second wave, right? Because if we don't get a spike uh, after these protests, that would be a pretty good sign that perhaps, you know, the virus itself has, has been eliminated or at least more eliminated than what people are fearing. And that would be a, that would be a good thing. So it can go either way, which, once again, it, you know, it's why we're going to be watching it very closely. Um, you know, we're reopening quickly. A lot of the country is doing that. I think it's the right move. Um, the violence and the riots this weekend, uh, obviously, is not being done with social distancing, as you point out. So those two things together, if that doesn't result in a spike in cases, 
you know, the market will probably take that pretty constructively. So we'll see how it goes. If there is a if there's use of armed forces, Mike, is there a martial law risk to the mar markets? Well, uh, I, I mean, like, I don't think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves at this point. I mean, uh, whether or not it's going to lead to shutting down cities again for safety reasons. I mean, we're seeing that at night with the curfews. Um, let's hope it doesn't. Let's hope it doesn't get to that. Um, we'll deal with it if that happens. Right now, it's so hard to predict. Um, let's just hope it doesn't go there. Karen, you got a question? I do, Mike. Um, excellent call, both last year and this year. But in your constructiveness, your bullishness, is there more that you expect from the Fed, or sort of the stimulus, the the, the last leg for a while? Yeah, look, it's a really it's a combination of a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we have to, you know we all know that this is a very steep recession uh, that we've had. Uh, we're in it now. Um, and typically, you know, you're going to get some kind of recovery off of that. I think because and we've written about this extensively. I think because of the health crisis nature of this recession, we've gotten more stimulus than we would have gotten in a garden variety recession, uh, or even a steep recession where there wasn't a health crisis. And so that's going to help affect uh, essentially a V-shaped recovery of some form. It doesn't tell us about the sustainability of it, but we're pretty we're getting more confident uh, that between the steepness of the decline with the, the probably faster reopening that people were thinking about four to six weeks ago, fiscal and monetary policy working in concert and still growing in size, by the way, uh, that's a pretty good cocktail for a powerful second half recovery. And that's what the market's looking forward to. And now we just need to see if it can sustain. Um, and just quickly, Mike, if we do have that second half rally, uh, is, it, is it the reopening trade that wins the day? Well, I think we're getting the reopening trade now, right? So that's I mean, look, the market, I could argue, is pricing in some of that recovery. I mean, I think a lot of folks would argue the market's way ahead of itself. But markets are always ahead of themselves. They're discounting machines. I think in order to get even higher prices, we're going to need other positive surprises. And I think rather than the reopening being the surprise, is that we're reopening without a deadly second wave, or I think more importantly, that they don't re-lock down the economy, even if we get second wave. And we're better prepared for it now with the healthcare system. So I think as we, you know, reopen and we start to live with this uh, virus and we understand that, you know, we can actually function okay as an economy, you know, that's going to get business confidence, consumer confidence up. And then with the stimulus working in concert, you can, you can create some pretty good velocity in, in certain areas of, of, uh, of the market. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Melissa. Good to talk to you. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Guy Dami, you agree? Well, I, to a certain extent, I agree. I mean, I think the, the market is very expensive as well, but I don't think to I think to Mike's point, I don't know if valuations even matters, uh, given vis-a-vis -vis all the stimulus, all the money that's been pumped into the system. You know, Jim Cramer said something this morning. I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, the market doesn't have any emotions, and that's exactly right. You know, there are people, you know, 41 million people out of work. Obviously, we're seeing what's going on. Uh, outside of that, and yet people will turn on the news tonight, and at some point they'll see the stock market is within a whisper of an all-time high. And, you know, talk about a V-shaped recovery. I don't think you're getting the economy, but you're clearly getting it in the stock market, and the two, the chasm between the two continues to grow. All right. Coming up, Zoom shares are racing earlier gains despite a big earnings beat. The company's call is underway. We're listening in. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And later, a tale of two stocks, why this ultimate reopening play and this ultimate stay-at-home play have us scratching our heads today. We'll explain. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Zoom video. Deidre Bosa joins us with that. Deidre. 
Hey, Melissa, that earnings call kicked off just a few minutes ago. Eric Yuan just came on and said that he remembered the first earnings call last week. Uh, but as you noted before the break, shares have turned negative in the last uh, few minutes after being up as much as 6%. We'll try to find out why and bring it back to you. But it just looks like uh, some volatility there. The results, though, they largely delivered on the very, very lofty expectations for this company throughout the COVID pandemic. Some analysts have questioned whether Zoom was really capitalizing on these surging user numbers given its free offering. And the answer, according to the results, is uh, yes. The high, its highest-paying customers were up approximately 90% from the same quarter of last year. Customers with more than 10 employees, they surged more than 350% year over year. Another question was sustainability. As the economy reopens, as more people head back to work, Zoom's full-year outlook also strong. It now expects about $1.8 billion in total revenue. That's nearly double its last guidance figure. Now, Zoom has also been facing stiff competition this year. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, uh, and several others have been upping and promoting their own video conferencing platforms. So on the earnings call, no doubt you're that analysts are going to want to know how uh, Zoom is going to keep that lead. Melissa, this stock has more than tripled this year. Back to you. All right. Uh, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, uh, let's trade Zoom. Dan is back. By the way, Dan's uh, shot. There are problems there with the technology. It wasn't because we were ignoring Dan or anything like that. We all love Dan. So, Dan, your thoughts on <laughs> Zoom here? Uh, very high expectations, like Deirdre just said. I mean, the consensus estimate for revenues in the quarter was $200 million. The whisper was $300 million. They came in close to 330 so it kind of just wiped out all expectations, but I think you would expect that to moderate that full-year guidance. You know, the stock is trading at, like, almost 30 times sales, $58 billion market cap. You say to yourself, they've done everything that they could have possibly done. So, great company, great future for it. It's going to have to grow into that valuation, and she used the term volatility. I would expect some volatility. I have no idea if this thing's going to make a straight push to 300, but the options market was implying a 15% move in either direction. The fact that it's up or down a couple percent here is pretty interesting to me, but obviously a great quarter. I was going to say I was surprised when the results crossed that the stock wasn't down even more uh, and, and down more now in the after-hour session. It's now down less than 2%, uh, Tim, given, given the tremendous run going into the quarter. Well, so, I mean, again, you know, there, there's a high bar and then there's a really high bar. And then there's clearing the high bar and doing the Fosbury flop. I mean, they, these guys crush this. Um, but is the stock going to now flop down to the mat? I, I think the trade is Microsoft. I think the trade is, is obviously Microsoft Teams, which they, they're viewing collaboration and they're viewing video as actually kind of a core hub to luring people into the overall office product suite. And, and I, I just think that when you look at what's going on and, and was mentioned Facebook, what's mentioned is Google and, and Slack. And I, I just it's so hard to say that Zoom is going to run away with the prize here, even though they are the runaway winner uh, of COVID-19 stay at home. Microsoft has been winning every single day. Satya Nadelli, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, why shouldn't Microsoft offer all those other services around this and pull everybody into their system? That's what they're doing uh, in enterprise. That's what they're doing on the home front. Uh, I think they're going to do it here. For more uh, on Zoom, let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures to react. Um, Gene, you already thought that it was pretty fully valued. Um, so what, what does Zoom need to do in order for the stock to move higher? They need to keep the growth rates going at a similar pace or close to a similar pace. And that's simply what it boils down to, Melissa, is this is a growth company. This is a momentum play. I want to quickly 
articulate that is uh, Dan talked about this. My math is it's trading at 33 times this year's numbers. Uh, that compares to Slack at about 20, Microsoft about 10. Blue Jeans, a very small competitor, just got acquired by Verizon for likely around four times revenue. So to keep this stock going, you have to justify this gap. And I, over the years, have watched these growth companies. And one thing I've observed is usually uh, making a negative call or avoiding a story because of valuation in a massive growth opportunity, usually that's the wrong call. The right call is to look the other way and own it. But in this case, I'm thinking that that gap is just simply too far. The probability that the growth rates decline measurably in the quarters ahead is high, despite this undeniable truth about remote work. And so I put this in the camp of uh, a great company. Uh, the verb Zoom will be around for a long time. The company will be around for a long time. But at a $60 billion valuation, trading at 33 times next year, it's just difficult. There are just so many better places you can have your money. Um, I, I get that Zoom has become a verb, and, and that's really critical to understanding the company and how integral it has become. But history is liturgine, as you know, with companies that have become verbs, and now they've been displaced by competitors. And so when you're thinking about Zoom and this tremendous uh, remote work-from-home sort of trend that's going on, you've also got to think about the Microsofts of the world, the Cisco WebEx, et cetera. Um, is it your feeling that Zoom has a market share that it is going to, in fact, hold on to? Yeah, I think they'll continue to grow. So the numbers that we're looking at is that they just reported essentially 300% quarter-over-quarter growth. That compares to WebEx at around 200% and Microsoft Teams around 100%. And the reason these are for basically uh, the number of meetings, paid meetings that are going on. The reason why that that is growing is I think that there is something that is beautiful about the Zoom uh, user interface. Web conferencing has been around for a long time. It's never taken off uh, in part because of the complexities vast difference in terms of what these products look like. So, uh, the, yes, bigger tech companies can replicate this. They can come out with simplified uh, versions of it. But I, I fundamentally believe is that they have uh, tapped into a sweet spot that uh, my uh, I anticipate that Zoom will be around, that other companies will try to streamline. Uh, but I think that they will still continue to gain share. And I think the story is still largely fairly or potentially overvalued here. Karen's got a question for Jean. Yeah, I got a question. So the quarter ended in April. Did they give, on the call yet, I think which just started, did they give numbers for what happened in May and how did that factor into their outlook for the year? So I uh, haven't seen those. The last numbers that they gave were at the very beginning of May. They reported their April numbers. Uh, it wasn't the press release today, but that was these, uh, call it 300 million uh, paid uh, business accounts, and that was up from uh, 10 million, or, or, or uh, participants, meaning participants, 300 million, up from 10 million. It was just a staggering number. 300 million up from 10 million at the end of December is the last time they reported that. Uh, but uh, Karen, to answer your question is, uh, I don't know if they've gotten to that yet. All right. Gene, we're going to let you go. Thanks so much for joining us. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Guy Adami, what's your trade on Zoom? Hi. Hi. Well, it's interesting. So Dick Fosbury, he's the guy, obviously, that created the Fosbury. He revolutionized the high jump, right? But years later, Dwight Stones came around and shattered all his records. But it's still called the Fosbury flop. What's your point, guy? My point is exactly what Gene just said. Zoom isn't going anywhere. Neither is Dick Fosbury's flop. 
What's going somewhere is the valuation, and I think Dan nailed it. I mean, I'm surprised it's not lower as well. And recall, we talked about this stock in the fall uh, with you when we were all sitting together when it was an $80. Now, I never in my wildest dreams thought it would go to 200 I think you got to figure out where to buy it back, and my sense is you figure out to buy it back in, like, the 140s, which theoretically should really uh, back and trace back to. I don't think Dick Fosbury has ever been mentioned on on. I think this is a historical moment here on this show. I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, absolutely. But Dwight Sorry. Dwight Stones has Dwight Stones has. I, he yes, you are the right. Show, I yes, think. he has. He has he been mentioned on the show after. in the past. Uh, coming up, the coronavirus creating a tale of two rallies. What are they, and should you be a buyer here? We will explain next. Plus, U.S. lawmakers looking to chip away at China with increased scrutiny of chip makers, and options uh, traders think that's good news for one semi name. We'll name it. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Something interesting happened in the markets today, and these two stocks may be telling the story. Um, Square, take a look at this, a big reopening play. Restoration Hardware, a big stay-at-home play, both rallying today. And, in fact, that got us thinking about some of these trades. The ultimate workout trade from home, Peloton, and the ultimate gym reopening trade, Planet Fitness. They're both rallying over the past month, and they're not alone. The ultimate dine-in and dine-out plays, they're both rallying. And then the staycation and vacation trades. They're both moving higher. So that got us thinking, can the stay-at-home trade and the reopening trade both rally at the same time? And, Tim, a comment that you made, I think it was in yesterday's show. They all seem to be blending together at this point. Um, Really got us thinking about this and and taking a look more in depth at these two buckets of stocks. Well, it's just, you know, it's it's secular versus cyclical uh, on some level. So the secular are the... The, uh, the haves and the stay-at-home trades, in many cases, they've been work-at-home trends. They've been, uh, you know, fitness as a service, whatever you want to call Peloton. Obviously, service-oriented companies. And, and, I, and I think when you've seen companies like Netflix and Walmart, who got out of the gates early in the crisis in terms of being defensive, uh, and they, in Walmart's case, arguably pulled forward some sales. But, but there, there are trends that Walmart, I think, will continue to benefit from. Uh, but they are in the lowest margin part of their business, which would be on the ground grocery side and they, you know, essentially the, the, the online ordering of, of staples and whatnot. So I, I think you can have it both ways, but I think the market needs to be really careful about what they're doing to uh, companies. Again, we talked about Chipotle and I said, look, uh, Brian Nichols done a great job in terms of re-engineering a digital transformation there on top of a company that was already a growth uh, fast leisure play. But um, are they really better off in a post-COVID-19 environment than they were before. And I think we have to be very careful how we are attaching multiples to secular ideas and trends uh, and what they're going to mean three to six months from now, where I think we're going to have an economy um, that's struggling. Guy, your thoughts? I think people have come in the last three months. If you own a Peloton, my sense is you've come to love that machine. I know I have a long time prior. So the stock trading effectively at all time highs, in my opinion, tells you everything you need to know. I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think when the world reopens, we're going to forget our Pelotons. At least I hope that's not the case. So I do to answer your question, I think both sides can win. And, you know, I'll give you your Walmart and you look like names like a Dollar General, for example, which people have discovered. And they're not going to go away from that once Uh, We reopen in force. So I do think you can win in both scenarios or both sides can win to answer your question. Karen, quickly. 
Yeah, I think really both sides can win, but I think if the market's up, they'll both win. But I think the cyclicals and the and the open stocks will do better. They'll catch up. There's a lot of room left to catch up. All right. Coming up, options traders betting on a big search for one U.S. chip maker. We will reveal the name. And coming up at the top of the hour, the CEOs of CrowdStrike and B&G join Jim on Mad Money. That's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast. Semi-stocks having a big day today. Options traders are betting that one name is about to break out. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. TXN, Texas Instruments, traded more than four times the average daily call volume today, and that was the result of a large trade in the September 120 calls. An options trader bought over 8,700 of those, paying an average of $9. That's obviously making a bullish bet. The Texas Instrument is going to exceed that $120 strike price by at least the $9 that they paid. They began trading these earlier in the day, and they were well in the money, actually, since the stock closed up 4%. And this represents a very large trade. This would turn into about $105 million worth of stock. So a big bullish bet going out about three months. Dan, what do you make of this trade? Yeah, so interestingly enough, you know, Mike highlights the fact that it's in the money. I mean, this trader is obviously playing for new highs in the next few months. And just think about where Texas Instruments is exposed um, in just the industrial sector. A pickup in autos would be really good for them. So not just on some of the things that we think about all the time, like smartphones. So this one makes sense. It's kind of growth at a reasonable price. So it's uh, truly cyclical in, in many, many ways, Guy. It's expensive, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I think even Dan Nathan who is going to fricassee me again, would say it's an expensive stock. They're cheaper names in the semi-space. It definitely looks like it wants to go up to 130 and retest those old highs. But, you know, this is deep end of the pool stuff, Melm. So uh, as, as Mike Coe would say, or Dan would say, you know, what do you say, Dan? Good luck. Dude, knock yourself out. I think that's what you do here in Texas. That's it. Go at it, people. Have knock at yourself at out. At I mean, have at, have at it. it. I mean, we should have a list of Danisms. Um, and then in the guyism column is fricassee. And I still don't know. I have yet to uh, understand or learn what fricassee is, but I'll have to, I'll have to Google that tonight. Uh, Mike thank you. <laughs> For more options action, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, we've got the final trade. Emerging markets have taken this weekend dollar and reflation trade and outperformed the S&P by 5% in the last three and a half sessions. So uh, that was a trade of mine two weeks ago. Back in emerging markets, stay in this trade. Dan Nathan. You know, you hacked the bull or the bear out of that Mike Wilson conversation. It's like, where do you think rates are going right here? Where do you think the economy is going the back half of the year? I think TLT on the long side is a good hedge against an equity market that could go lower in the back half of the year. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so if we're in this rotation, I like FedEx. And I know it like, may seem like they've had a boom in business because of the, everyone's at home receiving packages. But actually, those business deliveries are much higher margin for them. So if we do reopen and get some momentum, I think FedEx is going higher. Guy Adami. Dwight Stones used to kill it in Superstars. Remember that? Back in the day, Melms, I yeah, know sure. you were an avid watcher. Oh, I, I, I know I was as well. And I know, hey, listen, I know Dick Fosbury is a big fan of the show. With that said, I know Tim Seymour is a fan of <laughs> PSX. That'll get you done. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.